Let's read God's word today. I'm going to start by reading Deuteronomy 4, verses 25 to 31. Then we'll read James 4, 7 to 10. And later in the service, we'll come back and read a few more verses from Deuteronomy. This is God's word for us, his people today. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. And then we'll turn to the New Testament and we'll read a few verses from James chapter 4. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you When I was growing up in Colorado, there was this conference center that we often went to in the mountains for CRC church events. And just behind the chapel at that camp, there was this huge rocky hill. And it's probably not as big as I remember it, but I think it was probably 75, 80, maybe even 100 feet tall. And so, of course, after the chapel services, after the church, whatever, all of the kids would spend as much time as we could playing on those rocks. The goal was always to get to the very top of the hill, but there wasn't really any way to go straight from the chapel up. You could go around, but you'd have to go around some foresty sort of things. You'd have to go around a couple buildings, and then there was a way in the back. You could kind of walk straight up and just have to climb up a couple rocks. That was probably the easiest route, so people like wimps and grown-ups took that way around. But the rest of us wanted more of a challenge. There were a couple ways you could go straight from the chapel up to the top of the hill, but to do that, you'd have to scramble up about 15 feet of sheer rock in a couple places. And there were a few brave souls who tried that every time, but usually they'd get about 5 or 10 feet up and realize they couldn't go any farther. So then they'd slide back down and try to find another way. And then there were other ways that you could kind of dodge between the rocks, do some scrambling, climb between passages, pick your way around, and get part of the way up, but then eventually you'd hit a rock wall, you couldn't go up, or you'd hit a passage that was blocked, or you'd come across a group of obnoxious boys, and I was never one of them, but you'd get these boys who decide no one else was going to go up their way, so they wouldn't let you through. So you'd have to go back 
and find a different way. Pretty much all the time, you could look up and you could see where you wanted to go. You always knew which way was up, but often your actual trip to the top was pretty complicated. You'd have to go around a barrier to get up. You'd go up a little bit, then you'd slide back down. You'd find a path that looked just right. You'd take a wrong turn. You'd hit a rock wall. You'd get going in the right way, and all of a sudden, there'd be a bunch of people in your way who wouldn't let you make any more progress. And so you'd have to keep turning around, looking toward the top, and start working on getting there again. Now, our spiritual lives are a bit like that. We can see the destination, but our spiritual walks don't usually look like paths straight up. There are bumps, there are detours, there's backsliding, there's pauses. It'd be nice if we could just go straight up to God, but for all kinds of reasons, most of them coming back to sin, we just can't get there. We are not always a faithful and committed people. We're in this cycle of pushing up and then sliding back down. We make some good progress and then we hit a wall. We scramble up and then we find out that there's something or someone in our way. We seek God for a while and then we realize that we've gotten on the wrong path again. And so we repent, we turn around, and we try again. Progress in the Christian life is often measured more in terms of inches and stutter steps than it's measured in terms of great leaps and bounds. But the Lord our God is a merciful God and he keeps on loving us. The promise that we see in this text and the promise that we'll be focusing on this morning is that God will restore us when we seek him. When we seek the Lord our God with all our heart and soul, we find him. When we draw near to God, even after falling away, he draws near to us. And this is the story of each of our lives as individual believers today. And it's also the story of the whole history of God's people. This text that we read in Deuteronomy is Moses preaching his last sermon to God's people. He's led them for decades upon decades. They're about to enter the promised land. And the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses reviewing with the people what God has done for them, telling them what they need to do, and reminding them that their God is gracious and merciful even when they fall away. And in the books following Deuteronomy, in our own lives today, we see this continual pattern that God acts faithfully on our behalf. We slide away from God. We turn back to God. And God again responds with grace. God has mercy. His people fall away. His people turn back. God again has mercy. That's the process we'll be looking at this morning. So from verses 25 to 28, Deuteronomy offers us a warning that's also a prediction. When God's people turn away, consequences happen. When God's people turn away, consequences happen. After the people have lived in the land for a few generations, Moses says, hey, you might forget the Lord God and fall away from him. After you've settled down in the land, you might settle down with some other gods. You might start adding this God and that God and this practice and that practice in with the Lord and what he's commanded. 
And as it turned out, it didn't take very many generations for this to happen. Joshua followed Moses in leading God's people, and just a little bit after Joshua died, the people were already settling down with other gods. Within a generation or so of hearing these words for the first time, God's people were already running away from him. And often in the Bible, we see that pattern, that faithfulness lasts for about one generation, and then God's people get themselves into another huge, idolatrous mess. But through all of that, God stays faithful, and God continues to help his people to seek him. But still, after God's people turn away, God's work with them is not always pleasant. From the beginning, God covenants with his people, and those covenants come with blessings and with curses. If the people keep seeking after God, they'll receive the blessings that come with living with the Lord God Almighty. But if God's people turn away from him, they'll experience the curses, the consequences, the things that just naturally follow from turning away from the real Lord to other gods. If you remember from our reading of the Ten Commandments earlier today, God promised he would bless those who love him for a thousand generations. But then he also promised that for those who turned away and hated him, there would be consequences. There would be punishment for maybe even three or four generations. There are consequences to disobedience. Now that statement falls hard on our ears today. We don't like it. We want God to be nice and pleasant. We want God to give us what we want. We want God to keep us happy no matter what. But that doesn't fit God's plan for us. God does not just want us to be happy today. God is not in the business of giving us whatever little thing we want right now. Often what we want is not at all what we actually need to become better people in the end. When we turn away from God, we are always turning toward evil. When we turn away from the fullness of God, we are always turning toward chaos and nothingness. And often we need some consequences to get us to turn back to God again. Now, this doesn't mean that everything bad that has ever happened in your life is a direct line consequence of something bad you did. You can't say, I have this trouble now because I did this bad thing before. Sometimes that's true. Often it isn't. Not all of our pain is punishment. Not all suffering is a direct consequence of our sin. But when we turn away from God, pain and suffering are the natural consequences. And sometimes those consequences are exactly what we need to get us to turn back to God instead of wandering away into the wasteland. There's an analogy here with good parenting. When kids do something wrong, parents sometimes provide unpleasant consequences, or sometimes they even just step back and let kids experience the natural consequences of their own poor choices. And if we as people never experience the consequences of our poor choices, of our foolish choices, we just keep making those choices and expect that there will never be consequences. And there are always 
consequences in the end. I took some community college courses quite a few years ago, and at that community college, there were a lot of Kuwaiti exchange students. There was some kind of connection there, and there were a bunch of them in every single class I took. And talking to these guys, they were wealthy. They had life just how they wanted it. They came from the upper, upper level of Kuwaiti society where there was huge oil money. Anything they wanted, they got. No problem, not many consequences. And of course, since they were young guys, one of the things that they really, really liked was fast cars. So they bought fast, expensive cars, and they would go out and they would drive them as fast as they could. Why not? And there weren't any consequences. They would flip one car at 70. Bummer. They'd go buy another one, a more expensive one, a faster one this time, and they'd push the envelope more and more and more. But the thing with pushing the envelope is that eventually you hit a limit. A guy might flip a car at 70 and walk away. The next time he'd flip a car at 95 and nobody walked away. These Kuwaiti guys all had at least one close friend, often several, close friend, a brother, a cousin, who had died in a car crash because they just kept going faster and faster and faster, and there were never any consequences until the end. C.S. Lewis once said that pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Deuteronomy tells us that when God's people turn away from him, God acts to get their attention back. Corruption, evildoing, idolatry, all have their consequences. And when we turn away from God to other things, consequences happen. As the Israelites found out over and over again, life apart from God can look really good, but you live there for a while and things end up really really badly. So through verse 28, Deuteronomy 4 sets this situation up. God's people fall away from him. Life gets pretty rough. Things don't look good. When the Lord's people turned away to other gods, they got stuck in pretty nasty situations. But then in their distress, they turn back to God. And verse 29 is at the very heart of this passage. If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When God's people seek him, he restores them. When God's people seek him, he restores them. When things have fallen apart, when things have gone bad, if we turn back to God, he gets us on the right path again. If we seek God, we will find him. Even if we've turned our backs on God and we've gone off on our own, if we turn back to God, we will find him. Even when we run away from God, he doesn't run away from us. If we seek God with all our hearts, we will always find him because God has already found us. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells those who seek God that if they ask, they'll receive. If they seek, they'll find. If they knock, the door will be opened. This is a promise we have from God. But it's a promise that only works 
because Jesus has already brought us to God. We seek God only because God has already found us. We can knock only only because Jesus has already brought us to the door. No matter how far we've gone away from God, God is ready to meet us there. You may have gotten so far off the path that you don't even know which way is up anymore, but God is still there awaiting your return. All of us have different times of running away from God. Some of us slip away just a little bit. We have kind of the regular ups and downs of the Christian life. Some of us spend years or even decades running as far from God as we can get. Some of us just kind of hang out on the edge of the mountain, wanting to be close enough to God that we, we get some benefits, but not so close that God takes over our whole lives. Deuteronomy invites all of us to turn again to seeking God, to seek Him with all our hearts, with everything that we have, and it assures us that wherever we come from, God will be found by us if we approach Him in the name of Jesus. And James 4 gives us a pattern for how to do that. Come near to God and He'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. When we realize that we've gotten turned in the wrong direction, we need to turn around. When we realize that we've lost our way, we need to seek God. We need to draw near to God. We need to cleanse our hands to stop doing the things we shouldn't be doing. We need to clean our hearts to work with our desires, our wills, with our minds so that we are focused again on God. When we've fallen away from God, we need to take the hard step of admitting that everything is not okay. And we need to be humble enough to admit that we've missed the mark again. But when we do that, God receives us again. When we draw near to God, He draws near to us. God is merciful. We may need to turn back to God after a huge detour or just a little slip, but all of us have times that we need again to repent, to confess, to seek God's grace. And when we turn to God, the prayer, Father, please forgive me in the name of Jesus, is a prayer that God will always answer yes. If we ask for forgiveness from our hearts because of Jesus, God always says yes. Sometimes in our lives, we are able to make great spiritual progress in a straight line, but more often our spiritual lives follow a crooked line of moving up and down, going forward and backward, drawing closer to God, and then slipping away again. When things are going well, we need to keep climbing But when things fall apart, we need to turn again to seeking God. It is tremendously important that we confess our sins, that we repent, and that we get turned back to God. But we miss the point of this story if we make it all about what we do. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 4 now. We'll read verses 32 to 40. 
Verses 25 to 31 give us this story of God's people falling away, repenting, and being restored. Verses 32 to 40 tell us why that story works the way it does. Let's read some more from Deuteronomy 4. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them, He brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Even though God's people continually stumble, the Lord remains forever faithful. Even though we continually stumble, the Lord remains forever faithful. The Bible is not primarily about what we as God's people need to do. This is not a nice moral tale about how we can be nice people. God is the hero of all the stories of the Bible. The Bible is really about who God is and what he does for us. This cycle of repentance and restoration only works because God is the primary actor. We aren't God's people primarily because of what we do or what we've done or what we will do. We are God's people because God says so. The Lord is our God because he chose us, because he leads us, because God loves us. The Lord is a merciful God. He doesn't abandon or destroy his unfaithful people because he has chosen us, because he loves us. From Moses' time till today, God has brought his people into a unique place before him. There are no other gods in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters beneath. There is only the one Lord God, and he has chosen to make us his people. And Deuteronomy 4 talks about a number of signs that God's people could look back to that he cared for them. 
Verse 36 talks about how God's people had heard his voice from heaven and how they had seen the fire and the flame of his power on earth. Verses 37 and 38 talk about how God delivered his people from Egypt, from the land of slavery, and how he brought them to the promised land. And we as God's people today can look back on those stories, but we have even greater signs to look back to and to pin our faith on. In God's plan, God's word himself became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God's people have seen God's glory, the glory of Jesus, God's son himself, who came to earth full of grace and truth. And in our own lives, by God's power, we have been delivered from the realm of death and sin. We were slaves to evil, and God has brought us out of that dark kingdom and brought us into the realm of the Spirit, into God's kingdom, where we can live full, righteous, complete, and holy lives. Our relationship with God begins and continues because of God's restoring work on our behalf. When a child is first learning to walk, they don't do it very well. They need their parents' help to stand up. They fall all the time. They grab onto other things and try to walk with them. They go back to crawling for a while. They give up on the whole deal and just sit there and scream for help. And then they start over again. They stand up. They fall over. They take a step. They miss a step. And every time, we as parents keep working with them. We pick them up. We give them hands to hold on to. We encourage them. We put band-aids on the scraped knees and the bashed elbows. And as time goes by, those children who once couldn't even take a single step learn to walk. And then suddenly they're able to run. And that whole painful, difficult, growing process of learning to walk becomes just a treasured memory. So if you've had one of those times of falling away recently, if you've tried to stand and you've fallen over, seek God again and know that he will be there to be found. No matter how far you've gone, God is waiting for you to come back. And if you have family members or friends who've fallen away, be encouraged. This text gives us encouragement that even those who have run far, far away from God have hope of restoration. Because of God's grace, even hopeless cases have hope. We don't always see how God's grace works. We don't always know the end of the story. We spend a lot of times in our lives just waiting and praying. But we do know that our God is a faithful and loving God. We know that God welcomes his people back even after they have gone and worshipped other gods. We live in this big story of God being continually faithful to his unfaithful people. That's the story of all of redemption history. It's the story of your life and my life. God's people are always slipping away. We're always turning back. We're always getting distracted. And God himself is always gracious. He's always present. He's always merciful. We live in the truth that we were dead and God brought us back to life. 
And as we develop in this new life, sometimes we make a lot of progress, sometimes we don't make progress at all. But God is with us through all of it. When we seek God, we find him because God has already found us. And right now, most of us are spiritual infants. We walk, we fall. We try, we fail. We take a couple steps, and then we fall down again. But someday, we will grow up into the full measure of God's plan for us. And on that day, we will be able to walk and to run and to follow God in all things, all the time. On that day, we will finally make it to the top of the mountain, and we will live with our loving, merciful God forever. So today, be encouraged. If you haven't been seeking God, seek Him again, and He will find you. If you have been seeking God, continue on the path, and God will be at work within you to bring Him, bring you to live with Him forever. Let's pray.